This is the fourth of five Sundays in this conversation that we're having. And today we're going to talk about a core value that we're trying to use this language for, purposeful presence. God's promise is to be with us. We offer that same gift to each other and the world, honing in on specific ways we can be a presence of love. To begin, I want to read, let's see, one, two, I think 11 different verses from Old and New Testament passages. And I just invite you to listen and see if you don't notice uh, some themes arise, and particularly one theme around God's presence with us. And I'm just going to read through these here. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And finally, so the word became human and made his home among us. Teresa, before you sit down, would you just turn up the gain a little bit on this channel? Thanks. So what what do you notice? Anything? And these are just 11 verses that were easy to pick. There could have been 11 more. It would not have been difficult, and probably still 11 after that. A regular, regular theme in the scriptures from beginning to end is that God is with us always, shepherding us, 
joined with us. The Spirit poured out into us, alive in us. Jesus knocking at the door, making his home among us. Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan uh, friar, he writes this. The presence of God is infinite everywhere, always, and forever. You cannot not be in the presence of God. There's no other place to be. Rohr's simply repeating what we just heard in the scriptures I'm not sure that I grew up believing this, though. I think I was taught something slightly different, or it was a bit more implied that I had to somehow do the right things, say the right words, perform the right actions in order for God to be close. Roar is saying something different. But if it's true that God is always with us and that there's no other place to be except in the presence of God, then why doesn't it always feel like God is with us? Rohr says this, the only change is always on our side. God is present, but we're not present to presence. We'll make any excuse to be somewhere other than right here, Right here, right now, never seem enough. Hmm. We're not present to presence. Roar's pointing out our, our distractedness in other words. And you know what? Jesus does this too. Perhaps you've heard this teaching that Jesus gave on um, flowers and birds. You know, it feels a bit frou-frou-y at first, maybe a bit hippie, you know, by, by those two things. Uh, it's in Matthew, uh, a New Testament book, chapter 6. And Jesus is talking about worry. There are people there listening to his teaching, and he brings up worry. Why? Is worry that big of a deal? Everyone does it, you know? Is it worth talking about? Jesus decides that, is, that it is, and perhaps in part because worry is the opposite of presence. Worry is dwelling on an imagined future. That's one way to think about worry, at least. It's dwelling on an imagined future, on what could happen. And usually, of course, we're imagining a future that's not going well, where there's trouble, difficulty. And our minds get stuck on what could happen, and so therefore we are not here in this moment. We are dwelling on some imagined future. And Jesus says this is a problem. So is regret, by the way. Jesus doesn't talk about regret in this passage, but regret and other things like it is a dwelling on the past. And when we are consumed with regret, we are stuck back there. Our minds are consumed by thoughts related to what has happened. And therefore, it's really difficult to be here. 
Rohr says this, we're almost always somewhere else. We're either reprocessing the past or worrying about the future, and if we watch our mind, it doesn't think many original thoughts. <laughs> that line I thought was interesting. In other words, we get stuck on the future, the imagined future of what could be, or we get stuck in the past, but we just really replay the same tapes, often anyway. We just keep thinking the same problematic ways that our minds love to operate. And then he says this, we can say that all spiritual teaching, and I believe this is not an oversimplification, is teaching us how to be present to the moment, because when we're present, we will experience the presence. Hmm. And so Jesus is talking to people about worry, about this thing that can keep us from being here and now. And what does he tell people to do? If you're worried, he says, look at the birds and the flowers, which honestly is a very odd thing to say at first. But perhaps Jesus gives this teaching for a few reasons. One, I think birds and flowers are pretty good at just being. Jesus says the birds aren't worried about storing up food in warehouses. They just are doing whatever is kind of right for the moment. Maybe it's gathering food. Maybe it's taking a bath. Maybe it's singing a song. So there are examples of being present. And when we are present to them, when we, in other words, are paying attention to the birds that are singing around us, or we stop long enough to look at the flower, we are present, more so than we might have been otherwise. Yes? Because you're paying attention to what is right here. You're not worried about that meeting coming up at work or thinking about what's next on the to-do list. You're actually here in this particular moment looking at this particular thing. And if it's not birds or flowers for you, pick anything else that's of interest. So there are examples. A bird is present. When we pay attention to a bird, we can be more present. And as we become more present, we become aware of God's presence. This is why, for many, not all people, when they get away into nature, they have a spiritual experience. Not all the time, not every time, but it's in part because they have slowed down, they are more in the moment, and when we are in the moment, we are more able to tap into the divine presence that is always with us. It's always here. We're just not present to the presence. And we were made for it. We were made to experience God, to have a, a deeply rooted sense that we are never alone. Our path is meant to be one in which we learn to trust in God's care more and more and to know this incredible gift of God's presence. Because that's what it is. God's presence is a gift to us, perhaps one of God's greatest gifts. 
And it's also possible that it's one of our greatest gifts to each other. In other words, one of the greatest things you perhaps can offer to another person is your presence. To be with someone, to like actually be with someone as fully as you can be in the moment, to listen with your whole heart to another person, to be kind and thoughtful and curious is an unspeakable and rare gift, unfortunately. Rare. And now we're back to this core value. One of the greatest joys and privileges of being a pastor is that you get to have a lot of coffee. That's nice. But with people. With people. I have a lot of one-on-one conversations in which people share all sorts of things. Successes and joys, heartaches and loss. And over the years, I have become very aware at how difficult it is, for me at least, to be fully present with someone. Maybe especially so in the last handful of years, honestly, because of of this. Uh, I have been with people, the one primarily listening, and this thing buzzes, And whatever we are talking about becomes secondary in order for me to pay attention to this. And I've been on the other end of it, too, when I've been sharing with someone, trying to offer my heart or my thoughts or my whatever, and the same thing happens. And you've probably been there, yes? Have you been there before? And you know what it feels like It's not that you're maybe even mad or angry because we all are just kind of living in this world and we've all done it many times, been distracted by it. But you know that when that happens, you're sharing something from your heart and someone goes, or they don't even do this, they just look down or they do this. It kind of hurts. Or maybe hurt isn't the right word, it just, I don't know. You wish that they hadn't. Because you know and I know intuitively, deeply, that being present with someone fully is this really significant gift. And we miss it when we aren't able to have it with someone in a moment like that. So when I meet with people now, I try to put this thing in my backpack. Um, I often will try to, if I get to a coffee shop first, pick a table where I'm not going to look at the door. Um, I cannot go to a restaurant with televisions, okay? I just, I don't do it or I, again, have to pick a booth. I'm trying to be purposefully present with people. Because I know when people have been purposefully present with me, it is a gift upon gift. I think sometimes, though, that said, I wonder, do we, do we doubt the gift that presence is? I, I know that I have felt sometimes like presence, there's no way that being present with someone could be enough. And so I feel this temptation, this pull to try and fix the situation, 
or say just the right thing to make it all better. Have you ever felt that pressure? Right? And it's not that solutions are bad. Maybe occasionally I, have, I do have something helpful to say, and, and I will if it seems right. But what I've been learning is that, yeah, sometimes some, someone might be looking for a solution, but what people are always looking for is presence. There's never a time that someone does not want to be fully with you. It's one of the greatest gifts we have to offer each other, and I think maybe even the world. Adam Bucko is a person I don't know. I like his last name, though. But um, I, I came across him this week in some uh, emails, uh, this email thing that I'm on. And uh, someone had taken an excerpt from this book that he's written, Let Your Heartbreak Be Your Guide, Lessons in Engaged Contemplation. I've not read it, but I'm now curious about it. Maybe you will be, too, after I share some of his story and what he wrote in that book. What initially stood out to me about Adam, he's an Episcopalian priest. He's an Episcopalian priest, but in an, in an early part of his life, he worked with young adults who didn't have a home. And you saw the video earlier, AYA does exactly that. And so I was like, oh, interesting. You know, we're thinking about partnering with them, supporting them. And here's this person who did that sort of work. This is, uh, let me kind of walk through what, what he writes in his book, at least a, a short excerpt here. I often think of my time working with homeless youth. I spent years building skills and felt that I would become a capable professional armed with therapeutic skills and techniques that could fix people's lives. Deep down, I really believed that I was there among the homeless fixing their lives. Hard not to feel that way, I imagine. Hard not to think that that's what he was there to do. Again, when I sit down with people, and not even in this role, when I sit down with a friend or when Bethany shares something with me, I can easily go into fix mode. Let, let me fix this thing for you. Boy, I've got not a problem. Here's the way out of this one. One day I realized that what I was doing was not really working. Kids were going through our programs and still ending up on the street. They were still just one step away from being hurt or even killed by a drug dealer or a pimp. That is when I was forced to change. I started feeling helpless and my confidence was shattered all that I was left with was faith and trust that I was where God was calling me to be. So he is in this fixed mindset, and it ultimately leads to a crisis. And I think this is true for all of us. If you're thinking about any problem in the world, big or small, if you or I think that we can somehow fix it, if we just work hard enough or become clever enough, whether that's fixing our partner or fixing racism or fixing the housing crisis, I mean, whatever, pick, pick your thing. If we do that, we're eventually going to have a crisis where we realize that 
while we do have something to offer, it's probably not enough, honestly. This is a hard, this is a hard thing for me to learn as a pastor because I came out of seminary as a 22-year-old, good grief, I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? Uh, thinking, look out, I've got solutions, folks, let's do this, you know what I mean? And then having to be like constantly bumping up against the wall. I can't fix people. It's not to say I don't have something to offer people, but I can't fix them. So he has this crisis. He goes on, I began saying to God, I think you're calling me to do something here. And this is what I come with. I offer it to you. Take it. Change it. Make it useful, because I feel so small and useless here. So he says, I would just be there with homeless youth in a state of not knowing and trust, paying attention to what was, bearing witness to their pain, helping them to hold their pain, and often breaking with them as a result of what I was witnessing. This, friends, is presence. If you want to know, if that word is hard to define for you, what do you mean by being present? This is a helpful Look, he is surrendered, right? This is how it begins. Here's what I have, God. I don't feel very big, but here's what I have to offer. And he offers it, and he simply is with people as fully as he can be. He pays attention. He bears witness to their pain tries to hold it where he can and how he can, and he empathizes with them. He feels their pain. This is presence. Maybe it's not a complete picture, and it might look differently uh, in other situations, but I think this is a pretty good one. So let me read one more, um, the final excerpt that I'll I'll read from, from his book. What I began discovering is that every time I allowed myself to feel at a loss in the face of the pain I witnessed, in other words, surrendered, every time I touched my own irrelevance, there was this energy of God that would begin to emerge in our midst. All I had to do was say yes to it. The presence of God was there, always, ready to pick up the broken pieces from the floor and reassemble them into something good. And when that happened... I realized that my skills were not useless. I just needed to first surrender them to God so God could use them however God wished. So right words could come, and so right ways of being present could manifest. It was often not clear who was helping whom, because in each of those sacred moments, I received just as much as I was giving, if not more. What does Adam discover? That when he was present, surrendered, open, ready with his gifts, it was precisely then that he recognized God's presence. Jesus says, look at the birds and the flowers. If you can be present by paying attention to them, you might then be able to be more present to what God is doing in your midst. And this is what Adam experiences as well. 
I am with you always. I stand at the door and knock. I am the vine, you are the branches. Being present sounds so simple, maybe too simple. Maybe even a bit like there's no way it could be enough. And yet it is exactly when we are present, maybe only when we are present, that we can receive God's gift and offer our own to the world. So how do we live more presently? Lots to say. I'll just say these two things. We already heard them in Adam's story. Surrender. You can do this anytime, anywhere. Before you and your partner have a difficult conversation, before you have that meeting with your boss that you are feeling anxious about, when we get in the car to bring our kids to school, when a neighbor's walking over, we can simply say, here's what I have, God. Would you use it? That simple sentence helps root you in this moment. Here I am. Here's what I have. Use it, God, however you would see fit. And then the other, I think, important thing is slowing down. Being purposefully present is uh, the language we're using for this core value, purposefully. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to be present without purpose, without intention. And so, maybe when you're heading into that conversation, you need to put this away. Maybe you need to pick the table, not by the door. Maybe you need to make sure that you have some space in your week to be quiet. That might be the hardest one, maybe. But offering what we have, surrendering it, taking a breath, slowing down, looking at the birds, looking at the flowers. There's a reason I think smelling the roses became a kind of idiom in, in our, our language. There's something to it. And so I want to, um, as we close here, give us a chance to practice this. And to do that, I want to invite Sarah Jane to come up. Uh, in the past, uh, Sarah Jane has led us in many times of what you could call mindfulness. Mindfulness is simply trying to be present. And so she's going to help us uh, give this a, a, a crack. This is one way to try and slow down enough um, to be in this moment right here. That's enough of an intro, yeah? Okay. Plenty. 
Yes, so uh, as Chris has shared, right, so many things demand our attention and can call us in a thousand different directions in the course of five minutes, right, whether that's at school or work and home and back again and starting uh, over every single day. So these demands expect our full attention sometimes all at once, and yet we are often not taught how to fully pay attention or pay attention with meaning. So mindfulness is a practice that invites us to slow down, to get curious, to attune ourselves to what is happening within us and what is happening around us. And this is important because often these things go overlooked and this is the perfect moment to invite in awareness and if we choose to invite God into these spaces and moments as well. So everything this morning is invitational. You only engage to the point of your comfort. So please know that if it doesn't feel right for you in this moment, you can approach it with curiosity but not move into it if it doesn't feel like it's meant for you. So I want to begin by inviting you to just notice how you're sitting. And maybe you want to shift that posture. Maybe you want to move your legs to a place where they help you feel more connected to the, the ground beneath you. Uh, maybe you want to bring length to your spine and give your lungs full capacity to take up the space they're meant to take up maybe you want to drop your shoulders away from your ears and put that space back in your neck and then here as you feel secure in your surroundings to your level of comfort, close your eyes or just soften your gaze so you can start to tune out the many things around us that demand our attention. And to bring that attention more to you so that you can respond from a place of complete presence. And then I would invite you to bring awareness to your breath. Maybe you feel satisfied with the way it's flowing in and out of the body. Maybe you want to shift it, deepening the breath to the belly, lengthening the exhale. but can you be here in this moment? And your mind may begin to wander to the future or your heart may start to pull you into the past. But can you be right here, right now, exactly where your feet are? There's no 
right way to do this. It's just about slowing down, surrendering, and paying attention to what is present within you and around you. So as you begin to bring awareness back to the room, maybe you want to shift your fingers or toes or even wiggle the spine a little bit, maybe take a nice long inhale and exhale and then come back to the space and notice if anything had shifted within you.